Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical. Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Here's what you need to know. Since Joseph Smith, a young boy growing up in upstate New York in the early 1800s, had founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he and his followers, known as Mormons, had been traveling west in search of Zion, a new Jerusalem where they could live in peace. Faced with fierce opposition in every town they sought to settle, the Mormons moved further and further west. In 1847, the church's new prophet, Brigham Young, set his eyes on the Salt Lake Valley. The territory was part of Mexico and would allow the Mormon church freedom from the United States government. But by the time they arrived in Utah, America had taken the land in its war with Mexico, and the Mormons were once again at odds with federal law. Over the next decade, tensions between Brigham Young, who had become the governor of Utah, and the U.S. government escalated. That spring, United States President James Buchanan resolved to end Brigham Young's anti-federal government vision of Utah as the theocratic kingdom. 
he sent U.S. troops to Utah to force Brigham Young to step down as governor. When Brigham received word of the approaching army, he bolstered his own militia, made an alliance with the Native Americans in the region, and instilled fear in the minds of his followers. Panic ignited, and rumors spread that the U.S. troops had ordered to exterminate the entire Mormon population. By the fall of 1857, the saints were ready for blood. On September 6th, a wagon train of Arkansas immigrants rolled into the Mountain Meadows Valley. The travelers were en route to California by way of the old Spanish Trail when they set up camp for the night. Their last few days of travel had been challenging since Mormon business owners throughout Utah had refused to sell them food or supplies. But the worst was yet to come. As the Arkansans gathered for a hearty breakfast of quail before continuing their journey, they heard the sound of gunshots. Led by John D. Lee and Lieutenant Colonel Isaac Haight, a group of Mormons and Paiutes attacked the emigrants. Much to the surprise of the Mormons, the emigrants were well-armed and fought back, leading to a four-day siege. By the night of September 10th, most of the Paiutes had abandoned the mission. Realizing a lack of manpower, the Mormons turned to subterfuge. A Mormon approached the Arkansans and told them the saints would escort them to safety past the savage Paiutes if the emigrants agreed to hand over their weapons. The travelers relented and marched single file out of the valley, closely guarded by Mormon militiamen. Suddenly, a major shouted, Halt! Do your duty! And the Mormons fired bullets point-blank into the heads of their captives. The women and children were bludgeoned and shot to death, with one report of Mormons raping two women and slashing their throats. The Mountain Meadows Massacre was over in a matter of minutes. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats The Fancher-Baker party included around 140 emigrants, mostly from Arkansas, as well as a handful of Mormon apostates who had left the church. On the first day of the attack, seven emigrants were killed. One Paiute was killed, and two Paiute chiefs were mortally injured. In total, an estimated 120 emigrants were killed. Approximately 50 were men, 20 were women, and 50 were children or adolescents. 17 children, all under the age of five, were spared since they were deemed too young to bear witness against the Mormons. They were initially taken to Mormon homes to be raised as Latter-day Saints. In 1859, they were returned to family members in Arkansas. Four of the nine Nauvoo Legion militiamen were indicted for murder or conspiracy. Only John D. Lee faced charges. He was executed by firing squad in 1877. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is associate producer and researcher Alex Paul. Nice to be back. <laughs> We're very excited to have you. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, thank you. We pulled her from the depths of our our, our the library below ground where she does all of her That's hard right. research 24-7. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I'm on a, a leash. Yeah, your bigger scraps. <laughs> Wait, we, we pump a little bit of oxygen in there, and we every get now and spread. then, yeah, we give her Wi-Fi. We give her, uh, stale bread scraps, a lot of them actually. I would prefer to not have the Wi-Fi if that's okay. Yeah. Interesting. No, you need it. You need it. <laughs> she doesn't want the Wi-Fi of all things. <laughs> Alex is the perfect guest because, um, Alex, you were actually raised Mormon. I was. Yeah, I was raised Mormon. I uh, don't really practice anymore. But yeah, I've done some deep dives into the history and I know the culture pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really objective. Well, we were we this came up because we were all, you know, Chris and um, Alex and I watched Under the Banner of Heaven, which I highly Mm -hmm. recommend. It was so good. It really got me curious about what this massacre was because they, they the, the way they tell the story is in flashbacks, and this is one of the flashbacks. Yeah, so the primary story is like set in the eighties, nineteen eighties, about a murder that happened that involved Mormons and fundamentalist Mormons, and then the show sort of flashes back to like the early church history in the eighteen hundreds and s- tries to link the sort of violent history of the church origins to the 1980s and also to like the modern day uh, fundamentalists and, and mainstream Mormons. Yeah. It's Um, such a good show and it's on, it's on FX and Hulu. So Alex, I can't forget to do this. Mm. As you know, we start off the show by asking you what's recently alarming you. And as our guest, it is your job today to tell us. I am going to tell you, I, you know how Sundays you get a little notification about your screen time? Mm. <laughs> yeah. 10 hours, you guys. Oh, 10 geez. hours. I, feel like I don't, I don't really have any know. context. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm like, that sounds reasonable. <laughs> 10 hours a day? Oh, a Ten day. Hours oh, a day. Oh, I thought you meant for the week. 10 hours a day. No. Average. On um, average, 10 hours oh, a day. Average? <laughs> On average, that, that means you had some fourteen-hour days in there, maybe, maybe <laughs> wow. some eight-hour days. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. I'm confused. I feel like maybe screen time. Let's all do it. My yeah, daily average. For. My last week's average was six hours twenty minutes. How, how did you find this? It, just blast. go to general oh. and go to okay. screen time. My <laughs> daily is- average, guys, is two hours and 46 minutes. <gasps> Clayton, what? you are my ideal. How do you? <laughs> yeah, so what is? You, tell me your day. What do you do? I just don't use my phone a lot. I'd like we to. We need more. So what do never- you do? <laughs> yeah, what the hell do you no, do? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. No. You guys, I'm That's at 255. 255. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, you and me, Rebecca. Chris. Uh-huh. Yeah, well. Uh, I, Chris, I average like around six, but last week was 10 and I was, I still feel like six is pretty high. I was going to say, don't like, I feel like you're on a higher, don't include me in your grouping. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I immediately dragged you in with me. I was like, they're around two and you and I are like six and 10. (laughs) You're almost two X, my usage. Well, can you tell us what what happened last week? You were just, did you? Oh my God, you guys, I'm not recording. Stop it. (laughs) Why why do you think, what, what do you attribute to all of this phone usage, Alex? I finished up a couple of big research projects. And so I had more time. I think... 
More time for your Jerry, phone? Are you researching on your phone? No, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I finished them before the week. And so the week was like, uh, like I didn't have a lot of work to do, I guess. Mm. I also think like maybe I was driving for a long time. And like yes. that counts as oh, screen time. Like count. if I have my GPS up. Yes. But to be honest, to be really clear, it's not an innocent 10 hours like mm-hmm. there's a yeah. lot of like social media scrolling mm. so i need yep. to get it in check and i'm really um in awe of all three of you you too chris for that six no, hours no That's no like really... i'm not in their category either i'm not in your category yeah. and i'm not you're in questionable. their category you're in a questionable <laughs> danger alex is like red alert no well, red alex alert. And I are usu- we're usually in the same category, around the six-hour category. Sure. You guys, that's still... If you think about it, though, like Clay and I, we're still pretty bad. That's three hours of our day looking at a phone. Yeah, that's come insane. On. That's nothing. It's that's Mike, nothing. It my adds husband, up. Mike, would probably be like... I bet you he would beat An you. An hour? I bet you he'd beat 10 hours. <gasps> really? really? Guarantee. He's on his phone. Well, his, is his job just very... Yeah he's, yeah. yeah, he's constantly like work emails and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised. Can I tell you guys, I am so curious how Rebecca is going to transition from mm-hmm. phone usage to uh, the more, the massacre. You know who didn't have time for, for to look at their phone? Mm. Yeah. Well, that was easy. Uh, people it, who were going west. People who, who going didn't out have west. phones because they didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. People in the in 1850s who <laughs> were traveling west. Wow. That's it. Right there. So I, I, there's no easy way to do this. We just have to start putting things up on the board. Okay. And maybe it'll all make sense. Um, first up, we should put up. I, I don't know if they deserve to go up first. But let's just put them up so we have an understanding of how things went down. Um, the Native American Paiutes. Okay. This is according to John Krakauer in his book, Under the Banner of Heaven. The emigrants assumed they were being ambushed by Indians. As it happens, most of the attacks on the initial morning were indeed Paiutes, but others were Mormon from nearby settlements settlements who had simply painted their faces to look like Indians. By the night of September 10th, most of the Paiutes had ridden away from Mountain Meadows in disgust. Historian Robert H. Briggs wrote, to ensure that the Indians of the Mountain West did not align themselves with the federal government against the Mormons, Brigham Young forged an alliance with the Indians. President Young promised the Indians the cattle of passing troops or companies on both the northern and southern routes to California. John Cracker again said the inspiration for Brigham's military strategy came directly from Mormon scripture. According to the Book of Mormons, the Indians of North America were descendants from the Lamanites, a group of people who rejected the teachings of Jesus, resulting in God cursing them with dark skin. Scripture nevertheless taught that the Lamanites slash Indians would once again become, a, quote, a white and delightsome people when the Latter-day Saints converted them to Mormonism. Like right in the moment, like as soon as they got, is that what they believed? Like as soon as they got converted, that they were just going <laughs> to, the pigmentation on their skin would just get white? You know, I, I'm pretty sure that that concept, like, lived for quite a long time like into the 1900s too and it was like it will they will slowly their skin will slowly lighten what so weird that is is so really strange um 
But in terms of putting the Paiutes up on the board. Okay. What are we saying here? I think it was just, it's just a way to understand what happened. So, I mean. And, and they and, were blamed initially, yes. right? Like, oh, yes. Oh, I see. So the context at the time, really. I mean, like, okay, that's interesting. When they, um, when Brigham Young, because he was the governor of the Utah Territory at the time, so he was the first one to do an investigation on the massacre, his report said it was all the Paiutes. It was all, it was purely them. So a lot of people say, like, the Mormons, like, painted their faces in order to, like, frame the Native Americans. And then, you know, they really, like, he made them promises, like, if you join like our military like we will give you these cattle and we like i think he also suggested to them that like the united states government wanted to wipe out both the mormons and the native americans and so he like convinced them to join the mormons in order to like fight the Uh government yeah Yeah. i mean it, it feels like they were being used in this scenario um and then they also just were like, no, right? They like yeah, abandoned they, they abandoned the cause right before like the massacre was like by far the most killings. Like I think there were like maybe six or to ten people that died in the days before like the big massacre, but I think it was mostly Mormons. So this yeah. is what's interesting to uh so this whole event lasted four days, which is they initially tried to, um, uh, I guess, what's the word? Not sabotage, but they they showed up unexpectedly, right? The militia along with the uh, Native Americans. But the uh, immigrants actually ha- were armed and they fought back initially, right? So mm-hmm. it lasted four days until, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they ran out of supplies, Oh, oh, this is what it was. It was like, um, I think they were trying to just do a normal siege. And then at some point when they when the Mormons didn't have enough Native Americans helping them, they're like, we're going to do this, like, we're going to basically lie to the immigrants, right? They were like, we're going to, okay, we're here to like help you get through safely. And then the immigrants were like, okay, thank you. And then once they got their trust, they like lined them up single file to walk out of the valley. And then at the last minute, they were like, boom, and they shot them all. Just terrible. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine. So it, it's they, they changed their strategy, strategy is, is what happened, I think. Yeah, to like a war crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, war crime strategy. War crime strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so they're up on the board just because, like Alex said, um, that's who was blamed at the time. Um, But uh, little asterisks next to their name. Yeah, exactly. Probably take them off right away. Um, Let's also put Mormon blood atonement up on the board. Uh, The Mormon Reformation was a movement led by the church leaders to rekindle faith in a community sliding into spiritual apathy. This period is marked by fiery sermons by Brigham Young. It was during this time that the doctrine of blood atonement was forcefully taught. A couple Brigham Young quotes from the uh, from the year leading up to the massacre. At a church meeting, he said, 
There are sins that men commit for which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world, and if they had their eyes open to see their true condition, they would be perfectly willing to have their blood spilt upon the ground. In a sermon, he said, quote, Will you love your brothers and sisters when they have committed a sin that cannot be atoned for without the shedding of their blood? Will you love that man or woman well enough to shed their blood? That is what Jesus Christ meant. I have known a great many men who have left this church for whom there is no chance whatever for exaltation. But if their blood had been spilled, it would have been better for them. This is loving our neighbors as ourselves. John Krakauer wrote, in 1845, Brigham instructed church authorities to issue a formal oath of vengeance, which was immediately made part of the temple endowment ceremony. The oath required Mormons to pledge, quote, I will pray and never cease to pray and never cease to importune high heaven to avenge the blood of the prophets on this nation. This vow was removed from the endowment ceremony in 1927 after the oath was leaked to the non-Mormon press. Historian Will Bagley, from his book Blood of the Prophets, said, Early Mormonism's peculiar obsession with blood and vengeance created the society that made the massacre possible, if not inevitable. So, Alex, can you explain this? Because this was a big part of Under the Banner of Heaven. The blood spilt on the ground as a way of atoning for past sins. Um, so what, what would that mean? What did that open them up to? I think, so my sort of perspective is like, right, Brigham Young is sort of involved in politics and religion. Like he, they were in Nauvoo mm -hmm. when the first leader, Joseph Smith, was killed by a mob. And they had like the government after them. They had the state governments after them. And so Brigham Young's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to take everybody to Mexico. And then by the time he gets to Mexico, the American... Mexican War ends and America gets part of Mexico right. and it turns into America. So right. he's like, oh, right. no, I'm back like in America. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I think he really was like sort of prepping the followers. This is like my personal opinion, like prepping the followers to be able to fight the government. Mm. with like militias and stuff. So I right, think right. he was like slowly introducing this doctrine of like sometimes, yes, we're like godly religious people, but sometimes you need to be violent mm -hmm. in order to like fight for what you believe. And sometimes there are people who it's actually a good thing to kill them because it's the only way for them to be exalted and to like right. make it to heaven is to kill them. So essentially they can do terrible things on earth, uh, but still be sort of accepted into heaven if they spill blood on the ground uh, when they're killed. Or when they die. Yeah, it's even worse. It's even worse. It's like, because I think there's something, right? Like, uh, you can kill people and if you repent, you'll be okay. But this mm -hmm. is actually saying, actually, you need to kill this person. Ah. Right, right, right. Like, this person has sinned so badly that you, it is like a commandment that you kill them so that otherwise they, their soul will be lost, which I feel like is like, the next level like it's not even it's like encouraging and asking people to um be like 
vigilantes. I, I feel like this goes or, into you know, the um, the Christian supremacy uh, concept that we've talked about recently. This like idea that like your cause is like the mm-hmm. ultimate truth, and that you have to just do whatever you can to fight for it. Beyond, but yeah, yeah that's reason. a part of it, and also a part of it is it's basically like an escape hatch, right? Mm-hmm. For for validating um, behavior that is under the laws of say man or a country are are illegal right mm-hmm. i mean it, it feels like religion, manipulative in that way right mm-hmm. it's it's a, yeah it's just like a way of interpreting doctrine that where they can get away with you know um basically vigilante behavior or sort of you know violence essentially right and it's just like a fascinating time because it's like they're out in utah there's not much that's being developed like you are he did bring everybody out there because they wanted to create like their own society mm-hmm. and they just kept on being thwarted by the american government and they um I think, yeah, I think he was sort of encouraging and like really preaching in the years leading up to the like two years leading up to the massacre, all this like blood vengeance stuff. And um, I think his intention was to get people really radicalized should like government militias come after them. Mm-hmm. But I think like accidentally he got them really radicalized to like kill literally anyone. I like that word radicalized. I feel like like radicalized Christianity and like, like maybe I feel like we could put like a couple things on the board here in terms of like the the manipulation that Rebecca was talking about by him and like this concept of like a radicalized Christian. Yes. So why don't we put radicalism up on the board? Um, and I and we're going to talk about uh, Brigham Young and his um, manipulation in a bit. So we'll save that. Okay. But I think it's important we understand um, right now, like as to what we're talking, uh, some context. So, you know, like Alex was saying, the the uh, the Mormons at the time were being persecuted. Um, so perhaps we should also put that up on the board. Um, Religious persecution. Is- Persecution of Mormons, specifically. Okay. okay. Um, I, this is according to Krakauer. Uh, the saints were reminded again and again of the murders of so many of their brethren in Missouri and Illinois and how their beloved prophet, Joseph Smith, had been shot to death by a godless mob in Hancock County. Historian Juanita Brooks said, from one end of the territory to the other, the people of Utah retold and relived their past sufferings, mobbings and burnings and final expulsion from Nauvoo. They would never be driven again. They would fight first. Historian Gilbert King said, in April 1857, a Mormon apostle named Parley P. Pratt was murdered in Arkansas by the legal husband of one of Pratt's plural wives. Mormon in uh, Mormons in Utah took the news as another example of religious persecution and considered Pratt a martyr. So, uh, you know, Brigham Young, I feel, is taking the opportunity really right now that there's so much persecution against um, other Mormons and and particularly Pratt, which um, perhaps you can tell us more about, Alex, um, how I mean, it looks like they took this news very. Um, uh, they were. Uh, it was heavy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. Like Mormons are Mormons were for sure persecuted. I mean, also it's like the time 
in America was so violent in general. Yeah. Everything was w- so wild and out of would get really out of hand. But like Mormons talk about like we would, you know, try to just live our like religious lives and then these townspeople would just burn our homes and run us out of town. And townspeople did do that and and Joseph Smith like he was killed by a mob because he like called for the burning of a printing press and newspaper. So like there was like very much equal amount of like violence. But I don't know, do you feel like if um like p- this man comes into town and he's like I'm going to marry your wife? <laughs> like <laughs> do you have a right to go find him and, <laughs> and I mean, I don't think anyone has a right to uh, kill anyone. Yes, kill anyone. Um, (laughs) But I do think it's like, what is what is this guy Pratt really doing? It feels like a little bit um, invasive in in that. I I understand. You know what's missing here, though, is like, why don't we have the female perspective in this scenario? It's like maybe the woman didn't like her husband and was. interested in Pratt. But again, we ha- I guess this brings up the um the 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 um to- topic of um polygamy, right? Too. It's like, well what it's am I complicated. Ta- it's so it's complicated because so I think you're right that there were like a lot of women who like converted to Mormonism and then um like became plural wives and left their like Gentile secular uh husbands and yeah i don't know i guess that's a personal decision it's just the polygamy stuff is really confusing because it's it is hard to like parse out the like levels of consent especially in those early days i think like you talk about like um what's his name like warren jeffs and stuff and there's clearly like right consent yes but um if you're like i don't know like 26 or something and you're in an unhappy marriage in Nauvoo and this sexy Mormon man named Parley P. Pratt <laughs> comes into town. <laughs> Who could possibly resist him? Who can Wait, resist? Max, maybe we need to put uh, Parley P. Pratt's sexiness up on the board. Okay. For the massacre. Sure. Yeah, yeah, because he did, yeah. Um, I guess it, it is very confusing and... But I think going back to what you guys were, where we started, which which is the persecution of the Mormons, right? Um, you know, some of this, as Alex was sort of explaining, is um, it, it, a lot of it is real, but then a lot of it is not fabricated, but let's say harnessed by the Mormon mm-hmm. Church um, to create a narrative of us against them, and you know, we have to stand up for our own rights and that kind of thing. So how do we want to encapsulate that? Or do we just want to call it the persecution of the Mormons or? um, I think so this sort of to me, like sort of plays back into radicalism too, because the more people are persecuted or the more people are like repressed or punished, like the more radical they become Mm. and the more like attached to their beliefs that they come like that's why things are so complicated in like those fundamentalist pockets of Utah with like Short Creek and Warren Jeffs and stuff is because their leaders are able to point to the government and be like see mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. have really screwed us over and they have ah. like caused all these problems and then that makes people like 
cling to their beliefs even harder. And then it's just like, yeah, everyone becomes so extreme. Yes. And then the conversation stops. That also feels just like um, uh, isolation, right? Like, you know, like not having, if these people are existing in this like little bubble and they don't really have any other like outside influence and it's, there's just one person pointing to like, you know, the government as like the villain, like how, how would they know any better? If there's no, yeah, this like, this is in, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think about this a lot sometimes too. When you think about our country and how divided we are, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it has to do with like what Clayton is talking about, maybe, which is the country's really big. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. America is a huge country, and I think it gives the impression people get the impression that they are kind of on their own out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in certain parts of the of the country, and and so they're like, we have a lifestyle that's completely different than anywhere else in the in the country and so you know we have rights and we have a way of life and we need to protect that um i don't know if we want to throw up uh well i mean this goes back this this goes back to our phone conversation i get i guess you know i isolation um it's a at the time it's a big country and we didn't have phones and we, Mm. (laughs) we i mean i can't imagine what seriously i can't imagine what it must have been like to um to have come to uh you know to be one of those uh west the, those people going out west the and settlers yeah um yeah. you know it you're is starting like a, over and it's it's so isolated right mm-hmm. yeah and there is i think it's like it's coming back into america where there is this like big fight between state and federal government and you see like the federal government is sort of deteriorating in their power, right? Everything is going back to like state Mm -hmm. discretion. And that was sort of when, you know, you like create your Utah territory um, and the government is so far away. And like you said, there's not like a lot of oversight. There's a lot that like people can just do. They're out on their own. And um, when there's not a lot of oversight, things Sort of like you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, (laughs) and you can you combine that with like religious self righteousness. Totally, I mean they're stealing land is what they're doing too. Mm -hmm. Like they're already doing things that are questionable. Mm -hmm. But it's also hard because it's like for the for Mormons it was like yeah, but we were pushed out of Illinois, sure, and we were pushed out of these other places. Like we wanted to settle. But the reason we came to Utah is because we didn't want to be in America anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it became America. Like they they wanted to like forge their own path and find their own community. And um, mm-hmm. once they had been kicked out of all these other towns and then they still couldn't do it. But uh, you it's like it is, you know, the United States, you are ultimately operating under like some sort of federal rule right let's talk let's talk more about the people then um that were there um let's start by putting the uh rogue local mormons up on the board this is uh in 2007 henry b eyring the prophet of the mormon church at the time stated quote the responsibility for the massacre lies with the local leaders of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the regions near Mountain Meadows, who also held civic and military positions with members of the church acting under their direction. 
Um, and this was uh, the speech, which uh, was 150 years after the massacre, was the first time that uh, the Mormon church actually apologized and acknowledged its part in the event. Um, the church officials and historians maintained that the massacre was carried out by local church leaders who misrepresented the church and went against Brigham's orders. Other historians point out that Brigham Young's sermons on blood atonement leading up to the massacre encouraged vigilantism. So a lot of back and forth here, like what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Uh, kind of argument. Um Let's also talk about uh, and, and let's talk about Brigham Young. And I also before we do that, let's discuss this concept of late mail. Okay. M-A-I-L. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 2007, Latter-day Saint historian Richard Turley Jr. wrote on Sunday, September 6, militia leader Isaac C. Haight sent an express writer to Salt Lake City with a letter explaining the situation and asking what should be done. President Brigham Young's express message of reply to hate dated September 10th arrived in Cedar City two days after the massacre. His letter said, quote, in regard to emigration trains passing through our settlements, we must not interfere with them until they are first notified to keep away. You must not meddle with them. The Indians we expect will do as they please, but you should try and preserve good feelings with them. When when hate read Young's words, he sobbed like a child and could manage only the words too late, too late. I think that's hysterical. Like he was like, no. If only we had gotten this mail before, we could have avoided mm-hmm. all of this suffering and death. If out. only that is <laughs> too yeah, like, late. so fake. Ugh. I mean, yeah. they killed so many children, <laughs> and this is when he cries. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, we People thought are we were doing the mail. right thing. So- if we'd only heard." That 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 is interpreted. I guess Alex has a, a cynical interpretation of this, right? You don't think he actually? Thank you, thank you for holding me accountable. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, what I'm saying is, like, is there any other way to uh, interpret this? Like, could there possibly be like such a? I mean, what, what, I don't how would you buy call yes. it? I okay, go on. Well, yeah, I think the idea is that they. I don't know. It's hard. They were like waiting. They sent mail and they were waiting to see what Brigham Young wanted. But I think there is a sense of like people, things got really out of hand. Right. And people like people's uh, things just got out of hand. Right. And, and it was, it was over their sort of pay grade. They just didn't have the capacity to handle this situation. They didn't know what to do. Is that possible that that would happen? Hmm. Because it feels like if you just look at their actions and the, the deception involved and the okay, well m- maybe this will help. Let's talk about this. We'll talk about Brigham, uh, and, Brigham. and put Brigham Young up on the board because okay. we've waited too long. Um, historian Will Bagley said, "To my surprise, I found evidence that convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt that Brigham Young issued orders, probably verbal, to kill everyone in the Fancher party except those of quote innocent blood." children under eight years of age to fulfill his sacred vow to avenge blood of the prophets, Joseph and Hiram Smith, and more specifically, Apostle Parley P. Pratt. Why didn't he use his powers 
as territorial government to hunt down the men who committed this despicable crime? Why did he do nothing to return the stolen property of the 17 surviving orphans? Why did he threaten honest men who called for justice in the matter? Why did he shield the murders and allow the church's newspaper to blame the crime on the Paiute, on the Paiutes for a dozen years after Jacob Hamblin told him Mormons were involved? So can 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 it's I all, just yeah can I just get an understanding uh here we have the quote he's he, they they made this killing spilled this this blood uh to fulfill the sacred vow to avenge the blood of the prophets Joseph and Hiram Smith uh-huh. and Parley P Pratt so this was yeah again sorry I'm just slow to the uptake maybe but this was all this was. You're a fact categorized checker. You're as just an trying act- to get the facts. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. We're Cate- trying to get them you. straight here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, categorized as an act of vengeance, right? Uh, ca- like after the fact, right? I think, okay, like this is just like little old Alex Paul's theory. Okay. So I think, <laughs> I think like... I don't think that Brigham Young ordered this specific killing the way that historian Will Bagley does because this is not like a good PR thing for him. Like they killed a bunch of innocent people. I think he would have loved if they killed a bunch of like government militia troops. I see. In like an actual war between America and Mormons. But... I think, and that's, I think, why he was, like, saying the blood atonement stuff to sort of, like, prep people to, like, create a militia against America so that they could, like, make Utah their own territory. And I think the people, the followers, like, got so hyped up on his, like, blood atonement stuff that they just, like, went wild on, like, Mm -hmm. a bunch of innocent, just, like, immigrants heading to California. And then I think he was like, oh, no. They did a bad murder, not the murder I wanted them to do. To reframe it, and now like I have to sort of cover it. Gotcha. And I think that's why he like didn't do it. But I don't think, I don't think he wanted them to kill a bunch of innocent people because politically, like that is not going to help his cause. Right. And he was like for sure a politician hoping to like run his own like territory right he's thinking more broad more long term and this would not be good for him and they and there was a militia a federal militia heading um to utah and so it was on its way and they had gotten word that it was on its way it wasn't there yet and i think he had just like hyped up his followers so intensely that they were just ready for blood no matter who came through Hmm. they weren't clearly weren't thinking straight let's put these militia leaders up on the board um john d lee william dame isaac Haight. um this is according to crack hour colonel william dame and lieutenant colonel isaac Haight, whose orders had prompted the slaughter arrived at the mountain meadow on the morning after the killing they were confronted with the naked horribly brutalized bodies of men, women, and children scattered across the landscape in twisted poses of rigor mortis. Colonel Dame looked all over the field and was quite pale, recalled Lee. I thought then that he was just finding out the difference between giving giving and executing orders for wholesale killing. This is uh, from PBS. Uh, John Lee remained a fugitive until November 1874 and went on trial for murder the next year. 
The trial ended in a hung, hung jury, but then Young struck a deal with the U.S. attorney in exchange for receiving evidence that would confirm Lee's guilt. The prosecutor agreed not to go after any other Mormons, nor seek to implicate the church hierarchy in the massacre. Lee felt betrayed, but in Young's words... Quote, the time has come when they will try John D. Lee and not the Mormon church. And that is all we have ever wanted. The militia leader was convicted in 1876 and executed in March 1877 at Mountain Meadows. So he was clearly used as a scapegoat, although he did partake in the in the the massacre. Right. So it's not that he was innocent. It was just that they chose not to. Go um, after the church. Go after the church and the other people who were also involved in the massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like something that's uh, that happened here was uh, like Al- like we've been kind of talking about this whole time. These people were the militias. Um, they were agitated. They knew what was coming, and they took it out against the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also really tricky. Like this stuff is really tricky when I think about like leader, really charismatic, like religious or political leaders, like mm-hmm. inciting violence. Like they are so expert at sort of slipping in this idea and concept to their followers. And then when their followers carry it out, they're like, I didn't, I didn't say right. do mm. that. Right. And so then the leader doesn't get implicated. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking about other political leaders who have decided violence. (laughs) I think it's like, it's very sneaky and tricky and really smart of like those charismatic leaders to like sort of slip it in because all of those like sermons that you read at the beginning, Rebecca, where he's like, it's good to kill your neighbor. Like, um, even still, a lot of Mormons will like be like, yeah, but did you read the whole speech? Because right. later on in the speech, it says, don't be violent, or I have never been violent, or I would never do that. Mm. And so you can always point to like, he's going to slip in the violence, but then later in the speech, he's going to like absolve himself. But just by mm. like tempting that and planting mm-hmm. that idea i think you are like you should be held accountable and responsible for what people you know do based on your words but I it's really like, hard yeah. yeah i feel like that's it's- two things i feel like we can put something that about the you know this the leader themselves but i also think that's like blind faith people who are just totally not even questioning the the that's true. The mantra, yes. the whatever it is. Right. Uh-huh. There's also, if you want to if you want to uh, frame it in terms of the leaders g- holding them accountable, we can call that something like uh, subliminal indoctrination or something like that, or indoctrination yeah. of some kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good one. Okay. Subliminal indoctrination. Right. Because they, they're basically laying the groundworks for this these actions and this behavior. Right. Um, which is what you're saying, Alex, which I think is spot on and really sneaky too right because then in a letter a letter that comes two days late he's like yeah. no you no, can clearly you talking see about yeah. <laughs> no i am like not a violent that person crazy. that is insane like whoa like whoa like you i did had what? no you did wait what just happened are you serious <laughs> my my big question is how long does it take to get mail back and forth at that time uh, again a long time 
America's big, America's too big. No, no, I think it's less. <laughs> I, no, but I think it's less than um, than uh, they're pretending it takes. I I don't know if it's like if it really does take that long, right? Because there, they, yeah, go on, Alex. I think um, the guy who thinks that like. Brigham Young like ordered the Will Bagley I think is the historian's name he does say that it was like an he, the mile the miles that the like guy on horse traveled and he, and he did say that it was like super fast for the hmm. times hmm. right for the so times. it was they were I think they were trying to get the letter there as fast as possible but honestly like do you think the letter would have done anything I mean not to again compare it to like Trump but right like Trump later being like don't do violence like you've already right. unleashed mm-hmm. the beast yeah mm-hmm. and they so it's like very got the order it's like, very convenient for you now to be like oh no don't be don't yeah. do murder <laughs> don't do murder that is slippery and slimy yeah I, I, I never said that I just had you go to a temple and like right sl- act out slitting people's throats that's very mob like you know like I told the, you that yeah sorry go ahead. The, the leader of the mob never gets playing he never says anything directly it's no, all like no, insinuated no. but people I know love, what they mean so yeah. you can never pin it on them now we're running out of time unfortunately so we have to um let's take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the list one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Okay, who's to blame for the Mountain Meadows Massacre? Is it the Native American Paiutes? Come on, guys. Asterix, Mark, it's definitely not them. Uh, Is it Mormon blood atonement? Religious radicalism? Persecution of Mormons? Sexy Parley Pete Pratt and his (laughs) sexiness? Geographic and social isolation? The rogue local Mormons? Late male? Brigham Young? Militia leaders John D. Lee, William Dame, and Isaac Haight? Blind faith, 
or subliminal indoctrination. Can I make a, I want to, I really want to put up on the board, America being too big. America being too big. I also want to put up on the board, big America. Um, uh, I also want to put up on the board, the church, (laughs) the church of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, Because I guess because of its teachings, (laughs) I, I, that's not why, why, but that, just, that could be why that's right I, like yeah yeah well it's there, also it, I, I like like everything there are, there's good and bad right um but it's original uh, teaching i mean things have evolved right it's like things have changed but it seems like the origins of it had some problematic concepts it's interesting because you know i think mormonism gets a lot of attention because it's so new mm-hmm. right if you i haven't done like a full deep dive into like the beginnings of catholicism i'm sure there's oh, yeah. like a violent history mm-hmm. <laughs> that people are like yeah there's, there's so no longer like that. Wars. there's so many <laughs> <laughs> but i think because mormonism's like so american and so recent that people you know, it it hasn't quite separated itself mm-hmm. from those like sort of violent and also like very sexual um, beginnings. Yeah, we haven't even really touched on that. Um, so, what? Are, let's let's start off by taking the Native Americans off of the list. Okay. Um, I also think the late male is that's BS. Well, we can roll that into Big America. Mm-hmm. That, that's true i love big america big america, big america. This, this stands for a lot big america is a big i love big fan. america so i guess we can also fold geographic and social isolation it should be called the united should be, should be called the united states of big america yeah. <laughs> um uh, Some of the states are big too, so it could be called the big states of big America. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think taking out United is uh, is yeah. a solid. Yes. Idea. The big states. The, the, the questionably United. I think we should call it all the states of big America. <laughs> or we can call it the somewhat United States of big America. Um, we'll keep pitching on that. I think um, sexy Parley P. Pratt, as sexy as he sounds, can't yeah. be ultimately to blame, right? Do we want to put sexy people in jail? I just, I worry about. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) They they don't deserve, Alex doesn't think they deserve to go to jail. I'm concerned. I'm I'm personally just sick of them pumping out those uh, prisoner of the month uh, calendars. calendars And it being (laughs) sort of like very. They're making a lot of bucks. Like how many times can we use John uh, Lennon in those things? Because we just, we need. (laughs) Um, Do we think, um blind faith can go into subliminal indoctrination well it, it yeah the subliminal indoctrination it there's sort of two sides of the same coin on the one hand we blame the leaders in subliminal indoctrination and on the other it's the followers but i i do think i think subliminal right, indoctrination is more to blame we have here. to be able because because it, as as alex points out it's so easy for these people to slip out of mm-hmm these um out of the accountability here i also feel like the so we can't let that happen is the mormon blood atonement can that be folded into subliminal indoctrination (laughs) right yeah it's actually pretty that was a tool called right the the it wasn't super subliminal that's the thing yeah it's it's very it's a very confusing thing that yeah it's a confusing religion as as many religions are well, and 
religion was a much bigger part of everyone's daily life during these times. It's very, it's mm-hmm. a lot different. Right. Like the decline of you know religious belief or practice in America today mm-hmm. is much. Religion is bigger. up though, and it and it it's, gets into it gets just gets into the basic fundamental point of religion, which is like it's sort of like behavior uh, guidelines, right? It's like mm-hmm. here's mm-hmm. the way, here's what we believe. So here's therefore what we sh- what you should go out and do. Um, and you it's know, control. sometimes it's love yeah. thy neighbor and other times it's, um, control. loving thy neighbor is people. killing people. Right. <laughs> that is what loving thy neighbor is. It's so confusing. <laughs> I think we can take persecution of Mormons off cause they're not the only religion to be persecuted. Yeah, you for know? sure. For and then sure. that and can also go into radicalism, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's also not the way to deal with, with right. persecution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh okay so that leaves us with uh the rogue local oh rogue local mormons that can fold into the actual militia leaders right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so we've got the religious radicalism uh brigham young the militia leaders subliminal indoctrination big america and the church itself i feel mm-hmm. i guess the church could fold into religious radicalism or vice versa or Brigham Young, because at that or point, Young, it was yes. so new yeah. that yes. like most of the stuff that they were saying was based on what okay. he was saying. That's right. So out of these five mm. that are left, uh, here's where I'm leaning towards. I can't. It's hard for me to separate Brigham Young and the militia leaders because of the subliminal indoctrination. What do we think here? I Because I, I feel like... They should all go down because as as a religious leader, we have that responsibility, right? Or he had that responsibility. It's true. And as I guess the militia leaders or just people, the the militia leaders had the responsibility of using their brain and their morals to understand that you just don't kill innocent people who are traveling through. Mm. Yeah, why did they do that? You have to separate yourself. (laughs) from from whatever the church is is telling you to do and being like look at these people but you can't separate yourself if you're literally in the middle of nowhere and the people that one of the my favorite things that john krakauer says is like the people that made it to utah had endured so much that they were at that point the most intense followers. Like anyone who was sort of half in or half out or was like, I want to try out this Mormon thing. Those people had already left the church. Like they didn't travel all the way to Utah. They, you know, so nobody who was in Utah was like half assing it. Everyone there was mm. like, I am in this church. So it's hard, like, I don't know. Could you separate yourself from the church when it's all that you know and you've already given up so much for it and everyone you know is Mormon Mm. and every shop that exists is Mormon? Like, I don't know if you can be a non-Mormon in that community Mm. at that that time. But you could be a non-killer. Well, I think that what she's getting at is Mm -hmm. true, which is it's not the religion, it's the radicalism of Mm. this it's sort of how it all kind of led to the radicalism. Right? I know. Like and all I that understand sort of feeds into that mentality, which is what, you know, the, when that's when you cross over into a radical. I guess I've, I've never been seeing- radicalized. I, and I, I have a hard time understanding how 
in being radicalized, you can separate that from like the actual murder. You, you can't separate that from the murder you're about to commit. You well, know what I what's mean? interesting about that, Rebecca, is that there uh-huh. are people in this country who would argue that you are radicalized in, based on your beliefs. You know, it's all about your what Be, side. Based are you on the on. fact that I wouldn't kill. Yeah, like oh, you believe? I mean, would just name a belief. Someone who has the opposite thing is like, oh, you're a radicalized, like crazy liberal who thinks that we should, you know, fill in the blank. And it's easy to vilify, I think, the other. I know when you can when you can kind of remove any kind of like rationalism or reason and just be like, they are the opposite of me, so they are wrong and they are an enemy. Right. Which I think is the power of radicalism. It's so scary, and I I, I understand what you guys are are getting at. So, what are we going to do? Are we sending religious radicalism to the alarmist jail? Is that what we're doing? Are we letting the militia leaders off the hook? You could slap him. This is hard. <laughs> I don't we, know. You know, we could do a, a you know like a double slap or a backhand if we if we feel like we need it. Okay, that's an option. Uh-huh. So I guess right now, let's for now, uh, let's let's send the militia leaders and Brigham Young. Uh, sorry, religious ra- radicalism to the alarmist channel. We'll slap the leaders. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to call it. Brigham Young, militia leaders John D. Lee, William Dame, Isaac Haight. You're getting the big slap. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Religious radicalism. You're going to the alarmist jail. Big America lives on. Yeah. Big Big America America lives lives free. (laughs) We had the chance. I mean, we, we to yeah. put it away. I will say though, as you know, somebody who participates in sort of like I do a lot of the organizing for our alarmist jail. It would have been really, really hard to get a big America in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, wh- how do you? I just well, like we'll have to make a bigger jail, and then we'll try and get it. Um, we'll we'll try again. I, like, I'm just like, how do you even? Like, have you guys seen a map of the world? Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> We'll we'll keep trying. It's huge. <laughs> well, this was a really uh, big episode, um, and there's still so much more to discuss. But uh, thank you, Alex, for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of of this terrible tragedy. Yeah, thank you for having me. Following the massacre. The Mormon militiamen piled the corpses up in heaps and threw dirt over them. According to John D. Lee, they voted unanimously to state the Paiutes acted alone. Within days, wolves and other animals had unearthed and scattered the remains across the meadow. In Brigham Young's investigation report, he stated the massacre was the work of Native Americans. The Utah War and Civil War delayed prosecution until John D. Lee's trial and execution in 1877. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing Grey Gardens.
Erios. Powered by ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.